Hey friends, before we get to the podcast, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to This Good Word. I've been at it for about a year and a half now, and the feedback I'm getting from you is so fun for me to hear. Thanks for listening, thanks for sharing, and thanks for engaging in This Good Word. And if you're a faithful listener, I want to encourage you to head on over to patreon.com and consider becoming a supporter. For as little as $2 a month, you can get uh, access to the first two chapters of my next book, Whole, Restoring What's Broken, and Me, You, and the Entire World. If you support at higher levels, you get exclusive content that I'm writing just for Patreon members, as well as access to videos, stories, and other things. So head on over to patreon.com slash thisgoodword. Now back to the podcast. If we figure out what it means to be so diverse and see the beauty of that diversity as opposed to the challenge, then man, we can we can solve a lot of problems, right? We can, you know, there's nothing we we, we can deal with, right? If I had a diverse group of friends who are from different places, different economic levels, different races, different cultures, when we come across a problem, we can deal with that problem because our circle is broad. Leroy Barber is currently the executive director of the Voices Project and Hala Mentors organizations committed to supporting and developing leaders of color. He also serves on the boards of the CCDA, The Simple Way in Philadelphia with Shane Claiborne, and EEN, the Evangelical Environmental Network. Did you know there was something such as that? I didn't. I had a great conversation with Leroy. He was such a hopeful and passionate voice for the opportunity of diversity and for promoting, resourcing, and empowering leaders of color. So enjoy this conversation. Well, hey friends, I am here with Leroy Barber. Hello, Leroy. Hey, how you doing? Man, it's so good to be with you. Uh, and I'm here with Todd Heastand as well. Is that how you pronounce your last name, man? I mean, now that we're... Now you that hit we're, it right in the head. Did I really? Gosh, that's yeah. so great. First time ever. The... <laughs> <laughs> he astoned. He astoned. Let it go. Uh, these two guys live in Portland, and uh, Leroy is doing some great, great work with an uh, organization called Hope Mob, The Voices Project. Uh, he's written this book called Embrace God's Radical Shalom for a Divided World. And uh, so let's dive right in. Leroy, you're from Philly, right? You grew up in Philadelphia? Oh, yeah. Originally from Philly. And, uh, Spent some time in Atlanta and now out here in Portland the last last four years. Now, Leroy, I hear you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. You got that right. <laughs> I was I was going to say that myself, but you know, <laughs> a reputation precedes me, and you probably talked to Todd, who hates that I'm a Cowboys fan. <laughs> so. I've been giving that part away. Just get that all out front. No problem. Yep, I am a born and bred Philadelphian who is a lifelong Cowboys fan. So That's incredible. Well, I'm going to be in Philadelphia in a couple of weeks. I'm seeing a little a little indie band called U2. They're going to be performing uh, there in Philly. I've never been to Philly, so I'm, I can't wait to be there. Um, so, uh, Leroy, tell me kind of, I mean, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, mm -hmm. What breaks your heart and what gives you hope? Wow. Um, so... I think these days, what's breaking my heart, um, I think a lot is the more 
uh, we see the brokenness of the world. The more I see the church uh, intertwined within some of that brokenness. And I think that really hurts my heart to yeah. see the church so involved and intertwined with what we're now, you know, referring to as empire and its ways, um, as opposed to being a prophetic voice towards to to that. Yeah, I think that's that's where my brokenness sits these days. So. You're speaking my language, Leroy. Can you say a little more about that? Because I think you know, uh, the narrative in the church that we're hearing a lot is still that we're the, we're the oppressed ones, we're the martyrs, we're the ones that, you know, but it's really the more and more we look at it. Um, I, I agree with you that evangelical Christianity is acting a whole lot more like empire, uh, than it is, um, the church with a mission. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's disappointing to see all of the, conversation around race, all the conversation, even, you know, I'm out here in Portland, right? So, you know, the LGBTQ issue is is a big issue here. And the church is not seen as, you know, someone who's oppressed. We're seen as empire. We're seen as the oppressors yeah. in this space, especially in a place like Portland. And it's disappointing to not be known as people who are going to stand up for the civil rights and rights of all people, no matter what we think about them, what we, whether we agree or disagree, every human being deserves certain rights, in my opinion. And those rights were given by God. And to some level, aren't we stewards of that? And we should be stewarding that better. Um, yeah, I, I got some pretty strong opinions about it. Um, that are, that are, that are, I think not, political and not theological per se they're just about being people and being human beings and being respectful to one another um can we be known for that as a church yes you know oh that just such a breath of fresh air uh thanks leroy for that um what what if anything is giving you hope these days you know, and so the opposite actually like it, this would seem weird but um, now I'm leaning heavily into diversity, right? And leaning into that to say, if we figure out, you know, what what it means to be so diverse and see the beauty of that diversity as opposed to the challenge, then man, we can we can solve a lot of problems, right? We can. You know, there's nothing we, we we couldn't deal with, right? If I had a diverse group of friends who are from different places, different economic levels, different races, different cultures, when we come across a problem, we can deal with that problem because our circle is broad, right? Yes. Um, it just seems like a place of opportunity that um, I've been adopting this thing lately. Like, diversity is our strength. It's not a weakness. It's not a, something to be to lament is something to celebrate and use as a creative tool of God's kingdom, you know? So that's what brings me hope when I see those, those things happen. Dan, that's incredible. And you've led some pretty massive things in your life. Um, and I know, uh, some of that has been working with a whole lot of white men, <laughs> right? <laughs> Over the years. Yeah. 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 So, can, can you talk about 
you know, you've gotten to this place of really seeing diversity as a strength and really even maybe more than a strength as as a solution to a lot of the problems that we see now. Uh, what what are some of the bumps and bruises along the way, you know, as you led in Atlanta and, and different things? Um, uh, and as a person of color uh, working, you know, with a lot of white folks like me, <laughs> What, what, what would you say? What have you learned? I mean, what, what would be the invitation for, for us? I think um, that's a great question. I think, honestly, um, growing to a place where I to become comfortable with who God has created me to be, yeah. right? Um, you know, starting out in this such a long time ago where – I was trying to fit in or be accepted or say the right things and do the right things. And, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that caused me to sometimes, you know, not be myself, not represent who I am culturally. Right. Like, uh, you know, it was just a matter of kind of figuring out or at least accepting, wow, you know, I'm created in God's image. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not some mistake, you know, I'm not, you know, and, and I'm going to be that and I'm going to live that that person out, you know, and the more I did that, the more God and I, you know, we got closer, you know, and as we got closer, I began to see myself and my culture, my understanding of who we of who I thought him to God to be um, as as in, I'm included in the story. Right. You know, even myself, I hesitate so much now saying him when I'm referring to God, right? Like these little things, these little habits of things that, that, I, that I do or that we have done over time have really hindered who God is in the world, you know? And I'm trying to work on those things tremendously, you know? And you know, I'm just trying to work on those things and love be who it. I am. Oh, I love it, man. And you're working with some pretty incredible uh, organizations. I see that you're on the board of the Simple Way, Issue Alliance, the Evangelical Environmental Network, and the CCDA. Uh, so talk about some of the fun things that you're seeing in any one of those organizations. Well, I mean, uh, CCDA is kind of my heart, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm, uh, I just... I'm taking a break off of that board right now, but I chaired that board for five years and uh, the diversity and the, uh, the idea of living incarnationally kind of this theology of place and what it means to, to be in a place and to, to dive into that place and to represent the kingdom. Well, I, you know, I just have some wonderful stories of friends and family from, uh, from communities I've lived in, uh, and those being, you know, cross-cultural and relational and diverse, you know, in, in nature, um, you know, and it was in that process actually where a lot of the other stuff started to play out. What is it, what is, what is, what does it mean to steward creation and how are, how are struggling communities or people of color, how is their experience with creation and the environment different from uh, from wealthier communities or communities that are more white? That And there are differences. And so um, 
So that drew me into the environmental conversation, right? Um, folks like Missio Alliance who are trying to re reimagine a church, right? And trying to reimagine a church where theology is practical, where it makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so to me, that just kind of fits again into that, into that lifestyle. And, uh, and I'm from Philadelphia and Simple Way does great work there. And I want to feel like I'm connected to home. You know, and so, um, so connect with Shane and those folks who are doing some incredible work in place, in community, in Christian development. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of why a lot of those things play out in my life, and why I get get heavily involved in the conversations because they affect they affect our communities. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk, Leroy, I, I'm I'm noticing all these questions are bubbling up in my mind, like. You just in five minutes here, you've you've talked about making little changes in the way you know in the ways that you talk about God, not just He language and the LGBTQ community here in Port there there in Portland, and you strike me as someone who's like just even in five minutes here, who's constantly learning, who's who's curious, who's pressing into some of what you don't know. Could you talk some more about just how you cultivated that attitude? Because I find it so refreshing. You know what? I think uh, a, a long time ago, I uh, I was discipled by by uh, a minister in Philadelphia, and one of the best pieces of advice he gave me was uh, never never believe your own press. Always keep learning. Right? <laughs> yeah. He said. You're never as good as they say you are, and you're never as bad as they say you are, right? Uh, and so just keeping that in the back of my mind, like, I'm not that good, right? Or I'm not that bad, so I got to keep learning, you know? So it was kind of the, the, the rule, the Leroy rule of life. <laughs> Amen, man. I'm, I'm, I'm signing up for that rule of life. That's good. That's really good. Uh, well, I know you and Todd are involved in this beautiful nonprofit called Hope Mob, and I read this stat on your site, and it it actually floored me. I had no idea. Uh, only seven percent of nonprofits are led by people of color. Only eighteen percent of nonprofit employees are people of color. So, you guys, tell me how Hope Mob started, and kind of why you're passionate about it. Yeah, so um, Ty, you can jump in and fill in some spaces, but I think um, Hope Mob started out of a really good space of earth. There were some, you know, the earthquakes in Haiti, and how do we help, and uh, how you know how do we uh, bring a crowd of people together, right? So hence crowdsourcing to to step in. Well, after that was done, um, it kind of kind of fizzed, you know, bubbled down a little bit and uh, and sat around and um, Mike and Todd came and said, hey, would you be willing to direct Hope Mob and kind of give it a give it re reinvigorated and give it some vision? And um, and I just said to them, well, if I were to do Hope Mob, uh, I would concentrate it on in this space, this area that that people hear very little about. And that is um, how leaders of color are funded and are supported within the nonprofit world. And I told them the numbers and they didn't believe me, right? You know, at first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had to go do their own homework because I'm throwing out numbers like, look, 
97% of all money that's given are given to organizations led by white folks, right? And they're like, no, that can't be true, right? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, those kinds of numbers of, you know, 85% of all boards are filled with white folks, not people of color, and the communities they're working in are 55 to 60 percent people of color, right? And so you have this disparity of all of these white folks with very few leaders of color trying to do this good work in the world without this voice, right? Um, that's a travesty. Now, you know, I'm not blaming anyone for that. I'm not. I, I don't have an axe to grind. I just want to put out what's there, right? And and being in this work for 30 years and trying to figure out why in the world are my peers, my white peers, like, how do they get all this funding and how are they, you know, how are they doing all these things? And I found out, like, well, they got 97, they get $97 more than I do to do the same work, right? Like, so it's, you know, it's an overwhelming stat to think about, but it's true. And then I begin to meet all kinds of leaders of color doing great work um, with very little resource. And so that that's what Hope Mob has become, this place where we can begin to lift the stories of leaders of color uh, so that they can have opportunity to get more resource to do the great work that they're doing. We're not trying to change their work, tell them what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. Their work stands alone. But it's just not it's just not funded. It's just not resourced. And so we want to we want to do something about that with Hope Mob. Yeah, it's interesting, um, Steve. When I, I first the, we, our first campaign was with um, Jonathan Brooks. He's a pastor in uh, in 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 the Chicago area where um, in Engl- the Inglewood neighborhood. And I first met Jonathan or knew of Jonathan when he was on the stage at CCDA and he was leading worship. And I think he preached that that morning. And I'm like I was blown away by this guy. Like talked to him for a little bit in a, in a small, small gathering. I'm like, this guy is, his, he's got multiple degrees. He's thoroughly gifted. I was just, I mean, I was floored. I'm like, this guy's got to be like on stage everywhere. Right. Like he has to have books, like in the world that I was, have lived in for so long, which is kind of that white evangelical world, Jonathan Brooks would be a celebrity with a gifting that he has. And so I said to Leroy, I'm like, so what, you know, what, where's this guy? What's he do? He said, well, he works like three jobs and pastors a little community and it can barely make a living. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, doesn't make any sense in the in the paradigm that I lived in for so long. That's not how it works. Like the guys like Jonathan are the ones on the stage. They're writing books. They've got people just kind of throwing money at them. Um, and that was for me kind of this big, like light bulb moment of wow. Like this, this doesn't this isn't congruent to the world that I understand. Um, and has been a was a pretty big moment for me to say, wait, what? Like no, let's let's pay attention to this. Um, and the reality is, is in the world that we, you and I live in, Steve, like giving is done relationally and we give to people we know. And the fact is, is most of us don't know many leaders of color. Um, and so we give to our cousin or our friend who's going to work in the neighborhoods where Jonathan is because we don't know Jonathan. And yeah. so Hope Mom yeah. is an effort to kind of get people to know those stories because it's so like giving is so relational. And it's so driven by who you know. Um that the, the problem perpetuates itself. I don't think I don't think that most white funders or donors are like, hmm, where can I find the next white person to give to? And let me make sure that I don't give to any black people. I think we just don't know any. And so that's why it, that's why it plays out that way. Um, 
so maybe maybe some are thinking the opposite of that, but I, I doubt it. I think most of it's like kind of this this accidental accidental like funding racism we don't think about uh, but just because of our, our relational networks. And so that's kind of that's been kind of my it's my me working with Leroy in this project has really kind of opened my eyes to a new world that I didn't know existed. Um, and I've been really trying to just learn in the process and support as best as possible. So. Yeah, it, Todd. Even as you're talking, I'm realizing I love to give um, to organizations I believe in, but I'm, I'm just scanning my mind backwards. You know, like, oh, that person white, that person white, that organization mostly white, and I have never even thought about it. You know, so I'm I'm proving your point. So hope mom well, I, is. I, I proved my own point too. I mean, that's I mean, you know, I was talking to a really good friend, and he he said the same exact thing. He said, "Well, I don't." I didn't. I don't realize it, but yeah, I'm, I do the same thing. I don't know yeah. anybody. Anybody killer, um, yeah. and that's part of what you know. Leroy, Leroy's book, embrace not to not to push it in that different direction, but you know where where we need we just need better friendships cross culturally um, to to kind of begin this, the slow roll of changing the narrative. Um, and you know, for me, Leroy has been this friend that's introduced me to a whole new world that. I didn't know existed, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, well, I do want to get to embrace, but Leroy, I'm wondering um, how can people get involved in Hope Mob uh, mm-hmm. if they want to? Well, the e- the easiest way is to go to a website hopemob.org and join Hope Mob, and we really ask, uh, you know, a minimum ten dollars a month. Uh, and give that ten dollars a month combined with others that are given given that same thing, and we're able to do some some good work together. So um, go to the website and just join, uh, and begin to look at the stories and see the stories as they unfold, and hear about what what you're supporting for just ten bucks a month because others are joined the crowd, right, or joined the mob, you yeah. know, uh, to, for good. So yeah, that's how they can join. So I'm going to put that I'm going to put all the stuff on the show notes. So if you go to steveweens.com/shownotes, you can get um link to Hope Mob and you can link to uh Leroy's book Embrace and also the Voices Project, which we'll talk about in a second. Um so feel free to do that. Now let's talk about your book Embrace, God's Radical mm-hmm. Shalom for a Divided World. You wrote it last came out last year, last fall. Mm-hmm. Um tell me about what it is and 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 why you wrote it um uh, you know it goes back to this diversity question but then embrace is kind of it's pushing people to uh to go beyond their their circles uh and their normal social circles to embrace somebody to embrace the other right and uh and taken out of this crazy the scripture that i think is quite radical when you look at it this way right we look at jeremiah 29 and you look at uh israelites these folks that have just lost the war they lost their family members you know all of their goods are gone and they're walking to babylon right because that's what happened when you lost the war so they're walking here these are folks they obviously don't care much about right and they get there and God says, hey, uh, I want to do something here in Babylon. So what I want you to do is I want you to build here and settle here and plant here uh, and get to know and love your Babylonian neighbors. Right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, 
So if you take that scripture and you look at like, these are people who just beat us in war. They're, the last thing I want to do is be their neighbor, right? The last thing I want to do is love them and pray for their prosperity. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? But that's, that's, that's where that radical call sits, right? For us to know the other. Um, and in knowing the other, knowing that God cares for the Babylonians in my life, God cares for the other in my life. Uh, and how do I get in relationship with the other so that God's shalom is possible, right? Um, and so it's not, not that the relationships will solve the problem, but if we're in the relationships, we have a much greater chance of solving some of our problems. Beautiful. So that's what. Uh, Leroy, can you define shalom? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, shalom means peace, which it does. But my sense is you have a much broader definition of shalom. Oh, yeah. I mean, shalom, you know, kind of being this this space where uh, needs are everyone's needs are met. This place where obviously, yes, there's. There's less war, but even when, uh, even when conflict arises, because of our relationships, we have a different tool uh, to be able to solve conflict. So maybe not like not conflict all gone, but tools to be able to to deal with conflict and everyone's needs being met because of that. You know, so uh, not utopia, but but a way to way to get along better and to solve problems together. Because I think we're human beings. We're going to create problems. <laughs> yeah. But the hope is, right, when we work together, we can solve them as well. I mean, that's that's what I hear you saying. And so I want to encourage people to get the book, um, obviously. But I assume, like, let's say that there's a person listening and they're just saying, man, yes, yes, seeing the other. How do I do that? You know, like, What's one or two really practical, tangible things that someone could do that wants to take a step or two toward the other? Yeah. I, so one of the things I, I tell people is now take that big, giant concept and break it down into your life. Right. And tomorrow at work, go to go for a beer or whatever you do after work with the person who's furthest away from you in the office. Yeah. Just go out for, right? Uh, just go to, just, if you got an extra ticket to a game, ask, ask the person who you wouldn't normally ask to go to the game with you, right? Let that, let that begin to create relational space in your life with other people, right? So little things like that, right? Um, are, ways, are ways to start. And, and I think I think starting those things, you begin to humanize people in your life. They are no longer the person that's out there, the person I don't understand, the person I'm scared of. All of a sudden, oh, they're the person I gave a high five to, you know, when when the Phillies beat the Cubs, you know, something like <laughs> that. that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not that's not the real the conversation. Leroy. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. No, that's good. I, I think it's always so great. And that's what I love about Jesus. I mean, he, he was always taking it to, you know, his parables and stuff. They were, he, they were gritty and earthy and, and they were about, you know, um, the, the work, the workers of their time. And so, um, I love, I love hearing, um, I love hearing that practical step. Thanks for that. 
Um, let's let's if we can let's talk about the Voices Project. Um, so the Voices Project exists to shape and influence culture through the training, promotion, and support of leaders of color. So Leroy, when and why did you start uh, the Voices Project? Uh, it started, you know, I've, uh, I'm older uh, than I look. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, 30 years ago, starting off in this work and, you know, trying to, trying to make it happen, following my call, all those kind of things landed me in some places of, I don't know, wow, if this work was made for people of color, right? And so then I start meeting other people of color who are feeling the same way, struggling to raise money or you know, not sure about their call or struggling to kind of get through things. And so, uh, and then at the same time, watching our communities, right, suffer and struggle and trying to figure out how do we influence both of these things? And we came back to leadership that, um, that there were quality leaders of color. There are... Uh, leaders uh, in in every sphere. It's just there are certain groups of leaders that aren't heard from, and so how do we how do we walk alongside? How do we encourage? How do we train? How do we lift the voices of um, people of color? And uh, and then that kind of influencing of culture is this kind of way of saying, hey, like you have something significant to say. You ever think about writing a book or you want to write this blog or you should probably get yourself out there to speak more, right? So that the voice of people of color, the voice of of women and women of color, like all of these voices get out there, you know, and, and create uh, some influence in our society, right? So uh, that's kind of the, the heart of it. We meet a couple times a year. We have a publishing arm starting. You know, we do some retreats with leaders. We're working with uh, denominations for their leaders, you know, to help develop leader, their leaders within their denominations. Uh, so it's all an effort to kind of uh, raise a little bit of um, a little bit of the profile, if we will, of leaders of color. Uh, within this nonprofit world. So beautiful. So what's the biggest obstacle in, in this work? Lack of relationship. So here's, a, here's another stat for you. 75% of white Americans have no people of color in their social network. Right? That's another crazy stat. Right? So the hindrance is I've never most a lot of people will say I've never like been taught by a person of color. I've never given to a person of color. I've never sat down in a social context for a beer or drink or a ball game or anything with a person of color. So the hurdle is you we like we got to start what, like with such small things that with these these high level leaders, right? You know, you got a leader that can come in and talk about theology and talk about ministry and talk about the like teach the Bible like incredibly well, sociologists and biologists and can all these folks qualify, but people don't listen to them simply because they're people of color. I mean, that 
we've got to get over that hurdle. And and that's a big one, uh, but that's what we're that's what we're working against. Yes, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, do you have any stories uh, of you know maybe someone that was in that seventy five percent and then they decided to get involved with the Voices Project and they, you know, um, do you have any do you have do you have any stories like that? Well, I I mean the Voices Project we work directly with leaders of color to kind yeah. of say hey like do this thing, get involved in this thing. So, you know, there's people writing now, like Jonathan Brooks wasn't writing a book. He's just signed a contract with IVP, right? Uh, to write his first book. He should have been written a book, right? But now we can celebrate because when Jonathan Brooks' books come out, it's going to be sweet, right? Um, Only Love Austin is another leader up in uh, New York who's uh, writing her first book. We're going to publish um, her book, uh, an African-American woman doing community organizing in New York City, right? Working with like 80 churches, right? Wow. Crazy, right? She's going to be published here because of the work of Voices. And so um, we're kind of proud of these things, you know. Um, David Bailey's a guy. He just he he just did a conference down in Richmond, Virginia, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, let's support David in this conference. I show up, there's 400 people in the room, right, wanting to learn from this guy because he started his voice is starting to get out there. So um, those stories thrill my heart, uh, and uh, the more the more we see that happening, I think the more we'll see the kingdom of God come there. So. I love it, man. I love it. Um, is, is, let's say, uh, that there's a young leader of color listening and they're like, man, I, I want to get involved. What do they do? How do they mm -hmm. get in touch? Uh, contact us through our website, uh, voices-project.org. Uh, shoot me an email um, at Leroy uh, at kilnscollege.org. Kilns College is a big partner of ours. Um, you know, I didn't mention that, but uh, through Kilns College, we even offer, uh, you know, master's level uh, education. Um, we do a couple scholarships a year. So we have some voices scholars for leaders of color that want to study more and can't afford to do that. So um, Kilns College has been a great partner. And so uh, contact us through one of those ways and uh, and we'll get you plugged in and connected in to come to one of our one of our uh, one of our gatherings. Our next one is in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, August <laughs> 15 and 16. Uh, and we're partnering with American Bible Society for that. So. Uh, come check us out. Fantastic. Uh, my last question, Leroy, I mean, you seem to be passionate, involved in so many things. What are some of your rhythms that uh, enable you to stay engaged with God, stay healthy, stay, you know, uh, stay sane? Uh, because you're mm -hmm. on the, I mean, you're on the front lines of some hard work. You're talking about, you're talking about helping people, um, uh, move past some barriers that are just centuries old in terms of fear and move toward the other. I mean, that's big work. So how do you, how do you cultivate joy and passion in the middle of all that? Um, and that's a great question. So I think, uh, spiritual formation and rhythms for me, uh, come in these, these spurts and the, that I have within my year. Uh, and, uh, one of those is, you know, actually a few of them are connected with my writing, 
man, yeah. three weeks a year, I set aside a whole week to go off and to write. Uh, and inevitably in that time, uh, God and I, you know, God takes care of his business with me, right? Um, my wife and I have rhythms where uh, first couple weeks in June, we amp it down a little bit and uh, celebrate our anniversary and go away. Um, we have a rhythm in in, uh, in August where we're away with the kids uh, and in December. And we don't really we don't really stray away from those. So there's probably five or six weeks within our our calendar year uh, where they're kind of life giving for us as a family and for us as and for my wife and I as a couple couple. Uh, and then there are the daily rhythms of you know a few times a week I've got to. I I got it. I got to get in some scripture, and so I try to try to do that routinely. Yeah. So it's great. Todd, anything else you would want to say about Hope Mob or Leroy or this? Any anything else? Uh, I mean, no, nothing. Nothing more specific. I mean, I just think you know, as as a as someone who you know comes from you know a suburban white evangelical culture, and I say that with like you know honor and. And, and thankfulness, um, like the challenge for me has been, and probably the challenge for a lot of us, and is is the humility and kind of the humbleness to not have all the answers for everything, and not be the ones who give advice all the time, and not be the ones who kind of our default mode is fixed mode. And so, you know, one of the questions I asked, I've always I asked early on in this conversation was like, okay, how do I fix this? How do I, what do I do now? And like. I feel like what Leroy has kind of taught me is like this, there's this need for submission and humility that isn't natural. I think it's not natural for humans, but it's also not natural for people who've kind of been in majority cultures our whole lives um, to just kind of sit and be heavy humility and this mission to say, I don't have all the answers. Just I'm going to listen and, and just shut up for a while. Um, and then at the same time, kind of learning where our voice is, learning where like, how can I kind of quietly or, or even maybe not so quietly sometimes contribute to, um, something that really doesn't like directly affect me, um, which is a, I think it's a challenge for us. And Leroy's been the, I don't know Leroy's been a great friend in this process um, of kind of my eyes kind of being open to a different world, but also just um, a great ministry partner too. And so um, yeah, I, I I I would love to see you know I'd love to see like thousands of people join Hope Mob, and maybe if you know we get you know nine hundred we'll we'll be satisfied with it. But you know. <laughs> Well, so, I would give a I, I would give a challenge would, to any listener to go and check out Hope Mob. Uh, again, SteveWings.com show notes. You can get all the links to everything we talked about today. Uh, you can get involved in the Voices Project or Hope Mob. You can get Leroy's book, Embrace. Um, and um, I, I would encourage you to do this because we can all take a step towards. Uh, shalom and hope and healing and maybe this is one of those steps so uh, Leroy anything else you hoped I would ask you that I didn't ask you no I just I'm thankful for the opportunity and honored to be part of of your show for for this this podcast and um, yeah just look for folks to get involved with Hope Mob it's good all right you two uh, stick around after we say goodbye here because I want to say some final words here but um, I end the podcast every every time with a little a little mantra, a little slogan, if you will. And it's uh, we are human and holy, 
we are limited and limitless. We are dust and breath and we're in it together. And so it's this sort of celebrating the humanity uh, embedded in our holiness and, and vice versa as well. Um, so I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much, Todd. Thanks so much, Leroy. And um, blessings on you both. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, man. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com.